Bangor Worldwide has been promoting and supporting World Mission for over 85 years. Our podcasts are free of charge. You can find out more about us at www.worldwidemission.org. We hope you enjoy this talk. Well, it's great to be here and uh, to have opportunity to come and tell you some of the work that's happening in Dublin and to some extent across the south of Ireland because we seek to serve many uh, of the churches across the south of Ireland. But before we go there, let me take opportunity maybe just to tell you a little bit about myself. I came to faith, I suppose it's almost 33 years ago now, in Drada. Uh, God does have a sense of humor in the sense that I had, we planned to go to the pictures, but I got stood up on, the, on a date um, and therefore trying to figure out where do I go from here. Um, realized that a number of opportunities or possibilities. One, I could go to, the, go to the film on my own, but that would probably just prove I was a loser. You know, uh, so chose not to take that option then. The other option was just to go home, but then there was just too many questions because I'm one of uh, nine children, you know, and the youngest boy, one younger sister. So going home to the farm uh, just outside town of Fecken, there would have been just far too many questions to answer, you know, about all the processes and everything else. So I decided to just wander around Drada, spend a little bit of time uh, just killing a couple of hours. And for the first time, I met a group of people who were running a coffee shop had no idea what that meant as an 18-year-old, you know, no idea the kind of implications of what I was getting into, as it were. But um, for the first time, I met a group of people who had a personal relationship with Jesus. And over the course of the next two weeks, through conversations and opening of God's Word, I remember, I remember being asked, did I believe in Jesus? I thought that was a strange question, because I said, well, of course I do. Doesn't everybody? And if you grew up in Draw, there are 25,000 people. The vast majority of them went to church of some place or another, mostly the Mass, every Sunday back in the late 70s. So it was a natural response. Over the course of the next couple of weeks, I came to realize that while I, in one sense, believed in Jesus, I had actually never trusted in him. I had never placed my faith in him. In the course of a couple of weeks, I had paused before God and simply prayed, God, I realize I don't believe in you the way I should. Help me to believe. Uh, and that was the beginning of a journey that God brought me on. Uh, when a couple, about six months after that, I had a sense that God was moving me towards to get some more understanding of the Bible, I was completely ignorant. In our house, we had a big, huge family Bible. And we used to keep all the important things in there, like birth certificates, marriage certificates, all that, because no one ever went near it. It was always safe, you know? <laughs> So you knew whatever you left in there, nobody would touch, you know. So I'd never opened the Bible, I don't think, in my entire life. So I wanted to go to Bible college. Ended up going to Canada to three years. The plan was to go for three years to go to Bible college. Um, if you grew up in my community, it was very dramatic for my family when I came to faith. The whole context of leaving the church and all the implications of that in a good rural Catholic farming family, you know. It brought all kinds of implications. Realized it was, uh, while there was no Bible college in the south of Ireland for me to go to, it was to some extent, in strange ways, closer to go to Canada than it was to come north or go to England. Uh, in terms of how my family would manage that and deal with it. So that's ultimately what I did. Went for three years. I spent 10 years there altogether in Bible college, met my wife, 
you know what to say about Bible colleges. They're like shoe factories. They take in heels, spend three years working on their soles, and send them out in pairs. <laughs> Certainly, that's what they did with us and moved us along that journey. Our eldest was born there. We moved back to Ireland in 1990 to pastor a church in the city centre of Dublin. And through processes, God called me to be involved in theological education. And I was just thinking today, I was sitting here this morning thinking, you know, in kind of 33 years in the, since God began to call me and with all my kind of history and prejudice and all that comes along with that, it struck me, you know, God brings us a long way at times without us actually knowing it. And that I would consider, you know, the minister of the Presbyterian Church in Drawden now as a friend and a colleague, uh, God indeed does have a sense of humor, you know, in the way in which he, he moves us along those, those journeys. When I came to faith, without question, the biggest issue facing someone like me, an 18-year-old, was what do I do in terms of my understanding of Catholicism and my new faith and all of those issues? Those are no longer the big issues. There are issues now of secularization, materialism. Those become the issues. For my family, it was quite dramatic. Uh, now, I think if someone comes to faith and begins to go to an evangelical church of one kind or another, most parents in the south of Ireland, I think, have a sense that they're just glad they're going somewhere because more than likely they haven't been going anywhere. And secondly, they may be concerned that they don't get caught up too much in all this religious stuff in case somehow that impacts their lives too much. Those would be more the concerns today would be my sense than the ones which me and my family faced back in the late 70s. I think in the south of Ireland when just as the stranglehold perhaps of the Catholic Church was being loosened on society as a whole, uh, the Celtic Tiger came along and for probably 15 years distracted us. Uh, I said this morning that to some extent for the last 15 years or so, uh, since the early 90s, both a bit longer than that, we have managed to place our faith in the Celtic Tiger rather than the line of Judah. And we, uh, we had assumed that this Celtic Tiger would be the answer to all of our problems. Realized in retrospect that it wasn't not only it wasn't the answer, it was actually the making of many other ones that we would face. But in the midst of the last number of years, folk are beginning to ask spiritual questions again. There's no longer a sense of moving into the kind of big leagues in terms of finance or money or property. I sense in talking to church leaders and to individuals that there is a new opening for the gospel, a sense that people have realized that that in all of its glitter was still wanting. And now there's opportunity to uh, move into deeper conversations with people. It's perhaps in the midst of all of those change and study that um, the Irish Bible Institute exists. Indigenous leaders seeking to train indigenous leaders. That's our heart and passion. Um, when I came back to Ireland in 1990, in terms of indigenous leadership, individuals who were kind of born and bred in the south of Ireland and who were had some level of formal training and were leading churches, I think in that stage you could have counted them on one hand more than likely. And it's been a privilege over the year to see those numbers increase and to see individuals trained effectively by the grace of God in 
a local context to begin to engage in ministry and in leadership within that context. Um, one of the difficulties was a story, part of my own story. I said earlier I had planned to go to Canada for three years, returned after 10. Um, even in that, I was part of an exception because many who went away to be trained did not come back. They found wonderful ministry opportunities elsewhere and they stayed elsewhere. Uh, in the early days of the Irish Bible Institute, we used to jokingly say one of our mottos was and one of our callings was to never let them out of the country, you know, so that uh, they wouldn't find opportunities elsewhere but would stay and continue to minister in the context of the church in Ireland. We're passionate about trying to train and equip those who will minister and lead churches in Ireland. Individuals who will again engage in ministry, who will engage in the marketplace, and who will engage in mission, depending on how God has called them. We talk a lot about applied theology. We would go as far as to argue that if theology isn't properly applied, then it's not really biblical theology. All that God gives us is for the transformation of our lives and to be worked out in the societies in which we live, in, within the relationships, within our local churches, and we're passionate about that. So we offer a BA in Applied Theology, we offer an MA in Applied Theology, validated by the University of Wales. We work as hard as we can, it's not always easy, but we work as hard as we can to seek to balance what we call head, heart, and hands. Um, it seems to me individuals who come to Bible colleges often come with what I would say, they have a big heart, they're passionate about God. They want to serve God with all their being. They may have a small head, they don't know very much, you know. The danger is at times they leave Bible college with a big head and a small heart. And in the midst of all their learning and training, they have somehow lost the passion for God. And we jokingly say we want them to leave with a big head and a big heart, and to some extent big hands, that they're able to serve the, the church within the context God has placed them as effectively as possible. That they know God, because we believe knowledge of God would always, or proper knowledge of God should always move us to a deeper love of God, which affects our hearts, and which works itself out in the actions of our hands and the rest of our bodies as well. Think of individuals like Andrew and Sarah who are working in a local church out in Galway and who came last year and are hoping to return this year. It's not easy. The economic circumstances are pretty hard on them. Financially, they're not sure if they can return. And we're trying to work that out with them. Some of our past students are involved in the marketplace. If you watch Sky News, you probably see David Blevins from time to time, a graduate of the Irish Bible Institute. He was involved in church ministry part-time and in a secular employment job with Sky News as their Irish representative or a newscaster. Those are the kind of people we want to see more effectively trained to engage in work and ministry and mission around the country and around the world. In terms of some of the particular issues we're facing at the moment, I talked a moment ago about the Celtic Tiger. Well, it has its own impact on the Irish Bible Institute. About seven years ago, we became part of a property deal that we have a lease on that enabled us to new, move into a new premises in the city centre. Um, and 
that has been wonderful for the last seven years, but in the last year, that's all kind of gone a little bit strange. Most things to do with property have gone a little bit strange down south uh, over the last kind of three or four years. And about this time, over the, about this time last year, we began to work on that. And then in March of, of this year, we agreed with the bank who held the loan on the property of about three and a half million euro that we would be able to purchase it for 25% um, of its original value back in 2004. Um, that scared the life out of us because 25% sounds a really good deal, but it still works out to almost a million euro. Uh, we've been struggling to raise 250,000 euro to continue our operational costs. And yet, as we began to pray and spend time to seeking the face of God, we felt that this was the direction he was moving us in. So in March 17th of this year, we launched that campaign. We kind of were very clear that if God didn't show up, we were in big trouble. You know, uh, we had no idea how this was going to move forward. But two things. One, we didn't have many other options. But secondly, there was a quiet confidence amongst the staff and the board that this was what God was laying before us. Um, as of today, um, we have just gone over the 900,000 euro mark in terms of the funds raised. We are amazed. I can't imagine how God did that. It shows itself in very interesting ways. Tomorrow was supposedly our deadline. We have worked out with the bank for two or three more weeks, so we're hoping to continue to press on by the grace of God, and we're in the midst of negotiations of contracts and all of that strange stuff, especially for a Bible college principal. It's very strange stuff. But it's been an amazing six months to see individual students, for example, who I suspect about 10 minutes after he picked up our original brochure, rose a check for a thousand euro. And uh, I was just amazed. He said, that's all I can do at the moment. Maybe there'll be more later. Uh, a friend who arrived into the Institute one day, I wasn't even in my office. He left an envelope on my desk and he said to somebody, tell Jacob that's for the building. Um, retired gentleman who worked for the government, so wasn't by any means wealthy. Uh, the check was for 60,000 euro. It just blew me away. He said, my wife and I had decided to give that in our will, and we decided we'd give it now instead. That was just an amazing uh, process. I was shocked that day for quite some time, because when he responded in those ways, I all of a sudden felt the weight of responsibility. When people give sacrificially, it's... You know, you just can't come and go or willy-nilly deal with it. There's a huge level of responsibility to try and work these processes out. For a number of ladies from the Institute and friends of the Institute who ran in the mini-marathon to raise funds, for a group of small children who brought their pocket money together, part of the original brochure was, we're looking to buy about 10,000 square feet and 100 euros a foot will get you there. Buy a foot, would you please? and this group of children who pooled their pocket money to buy a foot of IBI. Uh, those kind of things are humbling to say the least. A former missionary to Ireland, and I know missionaries never tend to be rich and famous. Um, I was talking to one about four weeks ago. He 
He's now back pastoring a church in North America. And he gave us 31000 towards the building fund. Uh, it just blew me away. There's no other way to do it. Some of our students who live in Meath, uh, they ran events. They sold stuff on eBay. They encouraged our friends and church. Encourage is probably a little bit too lax of a word. I think there was a bit of pressure applied. And they turned up with 5,500 euro to help the process. It's just been amazing. The decisions and the process of those decisions for those individuals, and I suppose the earlier decisions for IBI in terms of trying to make sense out of how do we enter into this and what is the right way to go. I want to take a moment to open God's word with you. If you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Philippians. Because I want to take a moment to think about three important questions I think we need to ask. Questions that should guide our lives as we're making certainly big decisions, perhaps all decisions of our lives one way or another. Um, the leaders in the right direction. For Paul, he's in prison at the opening chapter of Philippians. It's a bit strange for the one whose name apostle means sent one to be locked in prison and not being able to go anywhere. You know, and the Philippians understand that. They are concerned. They're saying, well, what's wrong? What is God doing here? I remember we had this discussion at IBI. We moved into this situation. We thought it was exactly where God was leading us. I could tell you story after story of the provision of God for this building, and all of a sudden it begins to look like it's a, a, you know, a millstone around our neck, and we're trying to think, how can we deal with this? What's God doing? And as you try to move out of that, to try and figure out, well, where do we go from here? Let me read just a couple of verses. Uh, verse 12, God said, uh, Paul writes these words uh, to the Philippian Christians. He says, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. As it is true, it is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether by false motive or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. See, as Paul retrospectively in this case looks at his situation and tries to think, how do I decide if this is good or bad? I think the first question Paul always asks is, is it good for the gospel? And if the answer to that is no, well then this is not a good situation. But if the answer to that is yes, it is, it serves to advance the gospel, as Paul says here, then it doesn't matter how tough the situation is, whether I'm in prison or not, Paul would say, because the gospel is being advanced. And I note that even in the means by which the gospel is being preached, it's not clear cut, it's not simple, it's actually quite messy. Some are doing it for all the right reasons, but there are others who are doing it 
for all the wrong reasons. But actually, Paul doesn't care. Because for him, the critical thing is, is Christ being proclaimed? Is the gospel being advanced? And even if some are doing that to cause me more trouble, Paul would say, then I don't mind. I'm quite happy to sit here in prison and see God continue to advance this gospel. So in the context of his situation, the first question Paul would ask, in the context of seeking to make decisions, I believe one of the first questions we should be asking, is it good for the gospel of Jesus Christ? Will this help it or will it hinder it? I'll come back to some application of that in just a moment. I think that as we sought to discuss and work through the issues of IBI, we thought that it was important that IBI continued for the sake of the gospel in the south of Ireland. And there's lots changing there, and there was great opportunities, and we wanted to, in a sense, to be part of that. I know my friend who gave as a former missionary to Ireland. He came to Ireland 18 years ago to advance the gospel in Ireland. That's what he was called to do. Later on, God called him back to North America. But he's still giving for exactly the same reason. He turns around and gives 31,000 to advance the gospel in Ireland. That's what he wants to see happen, regardless. The second question. Well, later on in that same chapter, Paul is trying to figure out, will he live or will he die? The fact that he's in a Roman prison, probably under sentence of death, he is beginning to wonder, is this the end? How does he address this particular dilemma? Well, let me read from verse 20. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will, be sufficient, will have sufficient courage so as now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in this body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and will continue with all of you for your progress in the faith. Do you see the question that Paul asks in terms of the second question he seeks to address? It is, is it good for the church? Will I live or will I die? He openly desires that he would rather depart and to be with Christ. He's been through a lot up until this point. But then he seeks the heart of God and he knows, no, I'm not going to die here because I have still opportunity to serve the church, and it is better by far that I stay for that reason. Verse 24, but it is more necessary for you, Philippians, that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and will continue with you all for the progress of your faith, or for your progress and joy in the faith. Is it good for the church? Is another important question to be asking. It occurred to us that in the face of having to raise huge amounts of money that we realized were way beyond us, that perhaps the easiest option was just to give up. There was moments we seriously thought about that. 
But as we sought the face of God and as we prayed together, we felt that, no, God was calling us to serve the church. And that's where we began, and that hadn't changed. I know without question that my friend who, who gives 60,000 euro to the project gives so because he's passionate about the church in Ireland and to have effective leaders trained for that church. That's what he wants. He would give his life to that end, and that's why he gave a big chunk of his pension or life savings to that very end, not knowing if he might need it 10 years or 20 years down the road. One of the things that amazed us in the fundraising process was that of the first 300,000 euro that was raised, 94% of it came off the island of Ireland. I was amazed at that figure. I was blessed by it in the sense that God just encouraged me so much that we made the right choices, we were heading in the right direction. We were discussing with two large trusts for some significant money off of them, and it was really that figure, the 94% of the first 300,000, that impressed them enough to say, if the church believes and individuals on the island of Ireland believe that this is the right thing to do, then we will get behind it. And it would be remiss of me to come to an Northern Ireland and to not say thank you. The church in the south has been wonderful, but after all, we are their institute and they should be behind us in some sense. But back to the days when I began with the Leadership Institute, Beyond that, perhaps even more particularly to the days of the Irish Bible School down in Tipperary with Warren Nelson and stuff, individuals in Northern Ireland have given again and again and again. We have records of individuals who've been given since 1982, year in, year out, faithfully. And those individuals are all from Ulster. So thank you. It's appropriate that I say that. Um, you have been faithful, you have been encouraging, and you have been amazing. And it's proper that I come and say that. Decisions are not always easy, and they're not simple either. For example, I have two friends who were offered promotions at work at one and the same time. One, having asked the question, is it good for the gospel, is it good for the church, chose not to take that promotion. The other one, having asked those same questions in similar discussions, actually decided to take the promotion. It's not one size fits all. Sometimes you come to missionary conventions and the answer always is sell the farm and give the money. It's often not quite that simple. God may be calling us to other things and we need to consider that. The final question I believe that's asked, and I won't take time to read the passage because I'm sure most of you know it, the beginning verses of chapter 2. There's a clear question there about, is it good for others? Verse 4, uh, beginning at 3, rather in humility value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Jesus. Is it good for the gospel? Is it good for the church? Is it good for others? These are important questions. If you're buying a house, where should you buy? When should you buy? Should you buy at all? Those are three big questions that would shape those de decisions. 
Are you here tonight and considering maybe getting married? Have you asked, is that relationship that you're in and the potential of moving towards marriage good for the gospel? Is it good for the church? Is it good for others? If you're deciding on a career or a college to go to, again, to ask those same questions. Maybe you're here tonight and you're moving towards retirement. Again, three important questions. Or you're considering making your will and giving your funds away. What's good for the gospel? What's good for the church? And what is good for others? Are important questions to consider. I would advise you not to do it in isolation. I still struggle at times as I begin to think through stuff. You know, is it just something I've eaten or is this a move of the Spirit within me? It's very hard for me to figure that out on my own if I'm perfectly honest. But together with other believers, I love the verse in Acts chapter 13 that says, and they agreed together to set aside. I would probably not have had the courage to move forward in this particular project in raising, trying to raise a million euro if there had not been full agreement among the staff and the board of the Irish Bible Institute that this was where God was leading us. We needed that agreement, that we agreed together that this was where God was wanting us to move. These were the things he had for us. It gives courage, it gives confidence, because, you know, we've had some great responses in people doing some amazing things that I told you about, but we also have a stack of responses from trusts and individuals who say, no, sorry. And some of those days were hard days, and we're wondering, did we make the wrong choice? But when we agree together, we have courage to believe that we're in this, not alone, but corporately together. So God's doing amazing things. I believe that there are tremendous days ahead for the church in the south of Ireland. We're seeing again and again diversity like we've never seen before. I want to encourage you to continue to pray. Continue to pray for the work of the Irish Bible Institute. But more, perhaps significantly in that, the reality of the kingdom of God so often comes down to individual decisions that we make. Revival is always a decision. Is it good for the gospel? Is it good for the church? Is it good for others? May God bless you. We trust you've enjoyed this podcast. If you'd like to make a donation to support the work of Bangor Worldwide, please visit www.worldwidemission.org slash donate.